My name is Josh. I serve as the youth pastor here at White Pine. If you want to turn with me to the, the eighth chapter in the book of Romans, it's a passage that we actually covered in our middle school and high school class this last week. And because we only had half of our kids there due to the break, like I wanted to make sure all of our kids got that. So we're going to be kind of focusing even on the same passage this morning. Not only that, but it's a, it's a passage that is encouraging to two people, both people who are, who haven't said yes to Jesus, who don't believe in him yet, and for, for people who have. Um, and I recognize that this morning we probably have both groups here. We probably have some people that haven't said yes to Jesus yet, and maybe, just maybe part of your reason you haven't said yes to Jesus yet is because you're, you're scared of what God would ask you to do if you did say yes to him. Like, you're scared that he'll boss you around. And it is true that he will tell you what to do if you say yes to him. And, and uh, to be honest, sometimes as Christians, uh, we get tired of obeying him. And part of our gut uh, does wish that we could simply do what we wanted to do. So, like, I can, I can, I can feel that concern of yours. Following, following God uh, does come with its own set of hardships. And we may be tempted to feel like he is sometimes keeping us from experiencing a better and more pleasant life. It is easy to develop an incorrect and negative image of God where we kind of view him as, well, selfish and bossy and like a slave master. Like sometimes our gut thinks, he, he, sometimes he's a little inconsiderate. And maybe, like, maybe he's taken advantage of me. When we say yes to Jesus, it says that God gave us a spirit that comes and it lives in our heart, like with our spirit. And that spirit works to remind us during those hard times when we're, when we're tempted to view God in those negative ways. It works to remind us that those negative images of God, they're, they're not accurate. Like they're not right. And like it reminds us that, that God is actually for us. And like if you are on his team, then, then you have already won. Like, look, at, look, look with me at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. No, 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 no. He freed you from your sin, which, which kept you in fear. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father, which is like, Dad. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we, we're God's children. Like he says, no, 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 those images of God, those are not correct. You're God's kid. He loves you. You're his children. Like, he's, he's not those things. He's good. It says, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, which is kind of like a really cool and awesome thing. So if you don't have rich and powerful parents, I don't think, I don't think some of us grasp the, the benefits of being heirs, but if you have rich and powerful parents, uh, 
being an heir is a meaningful thing to children with rich and powerful parents. Like it comes with, it comes with a sense of pride and a sense of security and hope for the future. Like you know the, the good things your parents have will be your good things one day, if not already. Like being heirs is an awesome thing. And it says, like, we're not only heirs, but we're heirs of God, who is the richest and most powerful parents you could ever have. And not only that, but we are co-heirs with Christ. So like all of the glory and honor that Jesus received, like we get a share in that. Like imagine, imagine the celebration Jesus received when he returned to heaven. Not just because he was God's son, but because he came and he accomplished what God sent him to accomplish. Like, he came and he went back to heaven and they celebrated, they partied. Like it said that they took Jesus and they put him at the right hand of God and that, that no name will be as good as his name. Like, it was awesome. Like, the best thing that I can think, like a best human celebration that I can think of, that of that would be fun to be a part of is the Patriots. When they went through Boston just a few days ago after winning the Super Bowl and they paraded through the streets and people from all over New England gathered to Boston and they celebrated and they cheered. Like, do you know how fun it would be to be on that parade? As the, all of New England watches and, and accomplishes your return and your victory. Like, do you know how fun it would be to be up there holding that trophy over as the crowds watch and cheered? Like to say that you had a part in that. We, like we are co-heirs with Christ. Like for all the celebration that, that Jesus receives, we get to celebrate in that. Jesus received glory upon returning, not just because he was absent and because he was the son of God, which those alone make, him celebra- make it worth celebrating him, but he was celebrated because of what he accomplished, like what he did, and how much he sacrificed in doing so for God. Like, kind of like the, the people in that parade, like as we watch the parade, the, as we watch the teams go by, all of the team, from the water boys all the way up to Peyton Manning, were celebrated. And like, but those who sacrificed for that victory were celebrated way more than the ones who sat on the bench, even though they were all a part of it. Like, we all recognize the, the certain faces that have sacrificed ever since they were little kids for that victory. Like, they've given up so much. And it says in the same verse, if, like, it says, Heir, we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory... Like the more, the more we sacrifice and suffer for God in his kingdom now, the more glory we get to share with Jesus later. So if you're going through a hard time or you're suffering, like it can, it's actually like it's a, a good thing because like now is your game time. Now you get a, you get a sacrifice now for later. Like it, Jesus made this point in Mark 10. Mark 10, Jesus says, There is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land. Whatever you sacrificed, 
For, for my sake and the gospels, we, sh- we shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And if that last part confuses you at all, he makes it really clear in Revelations twenty two twelve when he talks about coming yet again. He says, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So like everything you sacrifice now gets rewarded later. That's why Paul in, um, in 1 Corinthians 3.8 says this. It says, each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. So like if you're going through a hard time right now, especially for following Jesus, like Jesus says, party, that's awesome. Like, you, like that's just more you get paid later. That's great. Like we got to view this time, like this time that we have, like this is our game time. We're a part of a game in which we already win. Like our team wins and we were put in at the end of the game, even though we already won, kind of like the Chiefs versus my team, the Colts. Like you watch that game in the last several minutes, it's game over. Like you just sit back and it's torturous. And all those people off the bench as they come in, like they just get to be a part of the victory. And every, like it's their time to do as much as they can. And even if they screw up, it doesn't matter because the victory was already theirs. And it's that way with us. When we're on God's team, we already won. We just get to bleed a little bit now so that we can share in the glory later. So like in your life, you might as well be all in. Like, you might as well live now so that you can be proud later. Like, sacrifice now so that you can share in more of Jesus' glory later. Following Jesus does come with suffering. It just does. Like, this world is brutal. And if you ask any teen that goes to one of these schools around here, they know you don't get any social brownie points for claiming the name of Jesus. Like, it is just stinking expensive like all around. And not only do we have to take the criticism and the teasings of, of people and our friends and peers and leaders all around us, but like when you say yes to Jesus, it says his spirit comes in and lives with us and, and encourages us to put God as the priority in our life and the leader of our life. But we still live with our own flesh, which says, no, 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 no. I still want to be in charge. And like every day is like a battle inside of us. Obey God or obey me. And that's stressful. Like that's suffering. And it gets tiring. And we're tired of that battle inside of us. But not only that, not only do we have to wrestle with the world and our flesh, but we also have to wrestle with the fact that when we say yes to Jesus, as real as God is, there's also a being called Satan out there that that wants to harm you and your kids. Especially if you're following God. Like, and we live with an enemy that's always there to get us. And that's stressful. And then we have our enemies and our frenemies, like all of the other fellow Christians that are supposed to have your back. But like siblings, they're the ones who cause you the most pain. Like this world, like if you follow Jesus, it comes with its, like it comes with suffering. It just does. But it is encouraging to know that we will not always have to live in a world containing suffering. Even this passage that goes on to say that, that creation itself looks forward to the day God removes its suffering. Like, look with me. 
Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing for the glory that will be revealed in us. It's going to be awesome. He says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Like ever since creation was subjected to the curse brought about by sin, earth, it's been falling apart. Like, like the whole planet. Even people who don't believe in God see this. Like we are freaking out because our earth is just crumbling all around us. And it's full, like it's full of stuff that reminds us that like we're in a bad situation. Like, like we're surrounded by this. I hate this. Like, we live in such a beautiful town, and I know there's some positive, positive messages about cemeteries, but like right at the center of where we live, like we're constantly reminded that your time's limited. Like, you're going to end up here too. And it's like, it's brutal, and it's sad. And like, it's falling apart, and, and that which death doesn't capture, like even if you get good things in life, like everything falls apart. Sin's curse devours everything good. Everything will be eaten up with rust, decay, or death, no matter how much you pay for it. Even creation will be better off when, the, when this day comes, when, when, when God glorified, reveals who his children are. It says, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I think that's hysterical that he included that. Like not only so, but we ourselves who have been first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Like a better future and one day a new body. Enjoying life as a daughter and son of God in person. We're like, we get to embrace and hug him in person. These are the promises that we can't see yet, but we can wait with hope. So, like, let that hope help you be patient. Like, don't give up now. Don't get discouraged. Like, remember, we win. Like, the, the future's better. And I realize that for some, we sit there and we think, yeah, I agree. I see that. But I'm just doing the calculations and, and I could have a few more decades to live and I'm having a hard time getting through this year and this week. Like, I'm suffering right now. And that hope is good, but I'm not sure it's going to get me through. Well, the next verses are for you. It says, in the same way that hope encourages us to endure and be patient, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Like, we do not know what we ought to pray for. We're just hurting. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Like, even when we cannot articulate it, God's Spirit is with us, helping us. And the nice thing about him is he knows, or he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. 
Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So like God's Spirit's with us, living with us, so that as we go through hard times and we need help, even when we don't ask for it, the Spirit like goes to God and says, hey, he's struggling. He needs your help. Like right now, he needs you. And so like God, God helps us through this Holy Spirit that's with us the whole time. Like a mom with a, with a suffering kid. Like, there was once when our family was on a mission. We were traveling to Indiana. I was speaking at a youth retreat in Indiana back home. And my family came with me. This is just when we had just our two boys, Amy, seventh month, seventh month pregnant. And we had a mission. It was to get from Maine with our kids to Indiana with our kids, which is like super stressful when you have kids. And the next step in our mission was riding a bus from Portland to Boston. And just our luck, we get on this bus and it was packed. There was zero empty seats. Zero empty seats. And one of our kids was in our lap, Zane. And as we're riding, Zane indicates, I can't remember if it was words or he just groaned and looked at me. I knew he needed mom. So like, quietly, trying to not disrupt other passengers on the, on the bus, I hand Zane over to Amy. Amy takes him and comforts him the, like only the way that a mom can do. And Zane loved it. He loved it. He sat up and looked in Amy's eyes and he opened his mouth and he just vomited everything he had out on her. The next few minutes were like a silent movie. Like no one on the bus made a sound besides their jaws dropping. And I scrambled through Amy's backpack, grabbing everything I could, throwing wipes and paper towels that she had packed in this backpack at her. And she's silently, like, comforting Zane with one arm, grabbing everything I threw at her and and cleaning up this vomit that is all over her. I'm scrambling, silently cleaning up this vomit on the floor, like looking at the passengers to make sure no one's going to kill us. The bus arrives. We quickly get off. Amy goes to the bathroom with her luggage. She changes, she comes out, and we continue on. But like Amy was with Zane, like when you're going through hard and stressful times, like we got to know that God's Spirit is here with you. Like He is here, and He is here to help you through those times. Like to help you practically, let alone comfort you. Like, we can confidently know that God is not sitting idly by as we suffer. Like, he is actively working for our good. He, like, he has been working for our good before we're even born. Like, knowing that God is with us and that he is, the Spirit is constantly asking God for our help in the ways that, we, exactly the way we need it. Like, it helps us trust the promise in the next verse that it says, and we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good who, of those who love him. Like God is working for your good. He's not idle. He is working for your good. For those who have been called according to his purpose. Like for like, he's been working for your good the whole life. If you said yes to Jesus, like, before you were even thought of by your mom and your dad, God was actively working for your good. It says, 
for those God foreknew, like before you were even born, like when God thought of you, it says he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Like before you were even born, God put the, the people and the details in your life that would lead you to become part of his family. Like God wants you a part of his family. So like whoever encouraged you and taught you about Jesus, whether it's parents or friends or neighbors, or teachers, or your youth group, or your youth leaders, or young life, or wildlife, or your church, or whatever it was, like whatever pushed you to learn about Jesus, like that wasn't an accident. God put them in your life. Like God's been working for you to be a part of his family even before you were born. Like that's how much God's for you. And for those he predestined, he also called. Do you remember that time when before you, right before you said yes to Jesus, like, like you got that feeling in you that compelled you to say yes to Jesus. That, that feeling wasn't by accident. Like that was, that was God working in you at that time. And for those he called, he also justified. Like 2,019 years before you showed up, God was busy paying the price for your sins so that you wouldn't have to and he had you in mind. Like he was fighting for you even back then. And for those he justified, he also glorified. Which you and I haven't, we haven't had the pleasure of experiencing this fully yet. But we will one day. Like God, God has already planned for your future so that, like your future celebration. Like he has already planned for that. He has already worked for that. Like God has done all of these things for you. Like he loves you. He is for you. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? Like, how about something like this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, seriously, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like, the odds are stacked in our favor. Like, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things, like whatever we need? I think when we hear, when we're reminded of the fact that God didn't spare his son, like it does not get out of us the emotional response that is due. Like we hear John three sixteen so much that our emotions are numb to it. And that's why I like the fact that Romans includes the story of, of Abraham earlier on. Abraham was a guy who lived a couple thousand years before Jesus. He was a guy that loved God, and God made some huge promises to Abraham, one of which was he would have many descendants. And his problem earlier on was he didn't have any kids until he was about 100. His, God miraculously gave him a son named Isaac. And like Isaac... Abraham loved Isaac. Not only because it was his child, but it was a gift from God that was like miraculous. He loved Isaac. And God one day gave Abraham an impossible command. He said, Abraham, if you really love me, I want you to give your son up for me. I want you to sacrifice Isaac for me. And the scary part was like God, like God was dead serious 
And he meant in the most literal way. Like he asked Abraham to sacrifice his son like they used to sacrifice sheep to apologize for their sins. Like an impossible command, especially of a dad. And it says like Abraham, Abraham as confused and as morally challenged as you and I would be because our, like our, mor- our moral alarm bells are ringing off the hooks. Like why in the world? Like Abraham was confused, but he knew that God was good and he knew God was for him and he knew God was for his son and God could do anything. And so like one thing Abraham figured as confused and as hard as this was, he figured that, that if, if God actually let him do this, then God, like, then God was going to do a miracle and raise him from the dead or something because like he knew God was good. So as confused as he was, he, he, he did what God said. He brought his son up on a mountain, built an altar. And I'm sure with his confused son, he tied his son up. And as his, his son's probably asking him, Dad, Dad, what are you doing? Don't do that to me. Dad, what are you doing? And he got a son and he put his son on the altar. And I'm sure with tears in his eyes, because he's as confused as you and I are right now, like... His son probably cried out and said, God, Dad, what are you doing? I, like, I love you, Dad. Like, what are you doing? And, and he, he had to pull out his knife on his son. And his, he says, no, 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 Dad, don't do that to me. And it said that he obeyed God, but right before he could, God sent an angel to stop him and said, don't do that. Your son doesn't have to be the sacrifice. I'll send another sacrifice. And God spared his son. Unlike God spared his own son, which a couple thousand later, years later, God sent his own son. Instead of Abraham's son, he sent his own son to die on the cross. And God's own son told God, God, I don't want to do this. And God had him do it for you anyways. Because you had a problem and you needed help. And as Jesus sat on the cross, hanging there and crying out for God for help, like, God couldn't take it. And he said that God, like, had to turn his face away. And as, as his son sat on the tree and saying, God, why are you forsaking me? Like, you're my dad. Help me. He said God didn't help him because he loved you. That's how much God cares about you. He would do anything for you. He gave up his son for you. Who will bring any charge against those God has chosen? It is God who justified you. He's the one who paid for your sin. No one will. It is God who justifies. Who then will, who is the one who condemns? No one. We have a stacked system. It says Christ Jesus who died more than that, who is raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It says that Jesus is made the judge. One day when you and I each die and we stand before God, it'll be Jesus who acts as the judge for us, the one who paid for your sin. And he's completely for you. Like, one day we'll stand before God and our judge acts as our lawyer which is totally unfair. Like he sits up there and when we do something that we think God will never love us again for, Jesus sits up there at God and says, God, God, no, 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 no. 
I paid for that. He's innocent. He's all good. And when our enemy Satan goes up there to God and says, God, what a horrible person he or she is. Jesus, the judge sitting at God's right hand says, no, 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 no. I paid for that. He's innocent. He's good. I got him. Like our judge says we're innocent. Like how awesome is that? If that's our case, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Like seriously, what could take away God's love from you? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution if someone teases you or gives you a hard time or famine or even if like they took all of your clothes and you had to walk around naked, shamefully, like seriously, would that mean God no longer loves you? Or danger or sword? Like if God even let your family's safety be threatened, does that mean God no longer loves you? It says if you follow Jesus, you're going to experience hardship. Like there's someone in the Bible, it says as is written in scripture, someone says to God, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that mean God, God no longer loves us? No, it doesn't. But it should make us bold in our suffering. Like we can be confident it says, no, in all these things, we, as the song, like the song we sang, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can go through our struggles and our, and our hard times and know, no, 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 we win. Game over. Yes, this, this suffering stinks, but we win. Like, we can be confident. We can know that God chose you. Like, you are God's child, and Jesus is actively fighting for you right now. Like, like be confident. It says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angel nor demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, like no matter what demons or evil evil thoughts push you to think, believe, or do, nothing, neither hider nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Like nothing can take that away. Like God is for you. And we are a part of God's forever family. A little over a year ago, I told you my sister's story, my sister Hannah and her husband Kevin's story of of how they, they had three kids and they adopted a sibling set of four little guys. This was not a part of their dream. They just saw a need that they couldn't stomach to ignore. The preliminary fostering stage, which lasted roughly a year, was incredibly tough. They're, the kids, due to the, all the abuse they went through, the kids, uh, their behavior was terrible. And Kevin and Hannah had zero control over these kids. Every night when they went to bed, the kids would scream as loud as they could for hours. My sister and my brother-in-law, they would go to bed at night sobbing themselves because they were exhausted and this was so hard. 
The kids had problems in every aspect of their life, including school. And on top of all of that, the kids had a confidence that Hannah and Kevin would simply give them back like the many foster parents before them. A year and two months later, at the adoption ceremony, Hannah and Kevin, Hannah and Kevin made these kids a part of their forever family. Now, as I watched on Facebook Marketplace, I watched them take these kids and promise them unconditional love like love that was not based on their goodness, but love that they would give to them because they were their sons and their daughters for the rest of their lives. And we got to understand that God's love and commitment for us is far greater, far greater than Hannah and Kevin's commitment to those kids. Like, we get to be on God's team that wins. Like, like his spirit lives in us so that to help us through these hard times. And you and I need to know that like God, like he's for you. He's for you. And we get to enjoy for the rest of our lives here on earth and later on being a part of God's forever family. Which is pretty cool. Now, if you are one of those who have not said yes to Jesus yet, and you're here this morning, like, you need to know that you're not here by accident. Like, God predestined before you were even born for you to be here this morning, too. And, and he wants you to be a part of his forever family also. He says, whoever says yes to Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God. So as we close and pray, you can say yes too. And you can join the same family that we get to be a part of. Let's pray. God, you are so good even when our stomach sometimes doubts that. I pray that you would give us the strength to maintain an accurate perspective of you. Thanks for giving us hope. You're a good God. We say all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.